Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's AgriPort. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this week are Orla Walsh, and Orla is an organics advisor with Chagas here in the county. Pat O'Toole, the political editor of the Irish Farmers Journal, joins me to talk about politics in farming. And Pat Carl, the current chairperson of the IFA in South Tipperary, Kira Leahy from the Country Living section of the Irish Farmers Journal. And uh, she has a lovely article about LEMSIP on this week's Country Living section. Uh, good morning, Kira, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm very well. I'm thinking of taking a LEMSIP, should I? I know. Sure, why not? Like, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, you make some very, very valid points uh, in that article, and I sincerely hope that following this few words with me, some people might go out and buy the journal and read the art in the country living section. Um, or, or a bit of lemsip, whichever. Or a bit of lemsip, <laughs> right. Okay. We seem to have got out of the good habits that we adopted while COVID was around in the early days, and people seem to forget that it's still around. Yeah, I guess, Jim, I was there last week, and look, I got no cough and a cold, to be honest. And it wasn't a big surprise. Look, it's going around. My daughter is in crash, or sorry, is in play school, mm-hmm. or germ city, as my husband likes to call it. Right. And, you know, she came, she spiked a temperature and, you know, it kind of, it ripped through the house as it happens in so many families at the moment. There's coughs, colds, vomiting bugs, the whole lot going around. But I was right, I was sitting down to write my editorial this week. I was just really raging with myself and that's kind of what inspired me to write because you know I, I we know what to do now we know mm-hmm. to wash our hands we know to sanitize we have been drilled it has been drilled into us since this day since this time four years ago how what we can do to limit infections and yet I didn't do those measures I have to admit in the last week um, and and as a result, I ended up quite sick on Sunday, which made me, which inspired me to start banging away on my computer. It was kind of um, in a bit of rage with myself. Um, but like, you know, we think back to four years ago when COVID hit and, you know, we don't want to talk about, you know, people want to forget the pandemic. It was not a good time in our history. But I, I guess the, the one thing we were told was, right, what can you do to limit the spread of infection? Wear masks, keep your distance wash hands, you know, sprayed anti, uh, you know, spray disinfectant on surfaces. And yet when my daughter got sick last week, I was, I I wasn't do, I was doing those things, but not to the same extent, you know? Yeah, I think we're all in that same uh, boat. Uh, You know, I got a bout of COVID in 2020, shortly after my getting my first, uh, well, we'd say, injection with regard to try to keep it away from me and it wasn't mm. it wasn't that bad uh sniffy nose was only like an ordinary cold and uh, nothing has happened since except two weeks ago i went down with covid again well yes and see this is the thing i mean we're talking about the pandemic being four years ago and yes that is when we went into lockdowns and everything but covid is still very much alive in our community and going back to what you know last week uh, you know, I was I was doing the measures that we had been told. I was disposing of the tissues, but not in that, you know, 
right this second threw them in the bin you know I I, I wasn't I, w- I was washing hands but not running to the sink you know we've had COVID in our house three times over the mm. years and we've been able to limit the infection because of doing those measures because of self-isolating because of disinfecting now you know it's a v- I say all this it is a very random, random virus and you can do everything that you've been told and it will still pass on. But, you know, in certain circumstances, we have been able to limit it. Excuse uh, me. Uh, but, um, yeah. but we, we really have, I, I, I guess, I felt last week, we've really taken our, you know, foot off the gas. And I guess I was very honest in my editorial. I, I did say, you know, I didn't do the disinfectant spray. I wasn't wiping the nose. Like, I was wiping the noses and probably not washing my hands every single time. And I guess I was very honest about it, but I would say that there are a lot of people that are probably nodding their heads going, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm probably not being as meticulous as I was in the past as well. And as a result, there are, are all these coughs and colds and vomiting bugs going around. But I would say the same, that I haven't been as meticulous as I should be. You know, like anybody living in rural Ireland, as you well know, you go to funerals, you go to uh, church gatherings, or you go to IFA meetings or ICMSA meetings or whatever the case may be, and you're not as careful as you were in the beginning. And the other thing I found, and I had to run out and get it, that uh, when I did get to COVID this time or felt I had it, I had to go out and get a kit. I didn't have one in the house to do a test. Yes, exactly. And then you're out and about and, you know, and you don't know if you've passed that on or whatever. And mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, I, I guess we we all did so well for so long and yeah, I think we need to remember some of those advice that we have, that we were given, you know, washing our hands, using sanitizer, disinfecting surfaces, covering our mouths with our elbows when we cough and staying at home when we're not feeling well. Yeah, and we relate all this uh, to COVID itself. But uh, you make a very, very good point in the article that uh, really we learned how to combat infections of all kinds of different nature, not just uh, COVID, but, you know, all the various tummy bugs that are around every winter and indeed at summertime or indeed if somebody goes on holidays to Spain and gets the usual Spanish tummy bug. If we take the precautions, we will be able to avoid those as well. But we, you know, we've got complacent. No, we have. And last year, my daughter um, was very sick. My baby son was 10 weeks old and I think she had strep A, mm. um, which is very dangerous. And I was absolutely petrified of my little baby picking it up. And by the time I went to the doctor to get her antibiotics, my hands were actually red raw from washing that the doctor had to prescribe steroids to, for, to me as well mm. because of my hands. So that's the level that we have been at. And, a, you know, a year later, I... As I said, I, I'm really taking the foot off the gas. But I think, look, there's a lesson in all of, to, to all of us in it. You know, we just, I guess, need to focus our attention as well, whether it's COVID, whether it's cough or cold, whether it's vomiting bugs, just to, I guess, do everything we can in terms of the lessons we've learned and to, you know, and, and to stay at home when we're not feeling well. Let's hope uh, that uh, this little chat that you and I are having on this Saturday morning, that it's a wake-up call for my listeners uh, with regard to getting back to some of the good practices that we had during uh, 2020 in particular. Absolutely. 
Okay, well, look at Kira. I want to thank you ever so much for joining me as usual. I'd like to have a longer chat with you, but I don't have the space or the time. But we'll talk again sometime in, in the future. And thanks again for joining us here on Tip FM on this Saturday Looking forward morning. to it, Jim. Thank you. That was Kira Leahy, who is the editor of the Country Living section of the Irish Farmers Journal. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Orla Walsh, and Orla is an organics advisor with Chagas here in the county. Good morning, Orla, and you're very, very welcome. Morning, Jim. How are you? Great to be on the show. Great to have you on the show, Orla, and I'm in great form. Thanks very much, even though the weather isn't being very kind to the farming community at the moment. No, unfortunately not. We have enough rain to last us a long time now. Uh, yeah. Don't you know the farming community now, if we get a, week, a dry week, they'll be looking for rain. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that always the case? Orla, you have never been on this program with me before, so before we get into talking about organic, can we have a few words about yourself, please? Yeah, um, so I'm a tip one myself, Jim. I come from a beef and sheep farm. I went to UCD, graduated there in the ag science degree, went on then to do a master's with Chagas in UCD. I was based down in Kildalton, where I did a bit of teaching. Um, came back to Clonmel then in August 22, as an advisor and then I was appointed to the organic advisor in December 2022. So a year into the job now, thoroughly enjoying it. Um, I cover all Tipperary and also the Walsh, Kilkenny and Cork East advisory regions, providing advice and support to organic farmers. So I'm, I'm kept busy, Jim. <laughs> By the looks of it, your hands are full, Orla. I, I... I'd imagine because you have, you have a big area. So let's then talk about organic farming. The Irish organic sector has experienced a large influx of new farmers in recent years, and maybe particularly in the last year and a half. So what is the situation in Ireland, Orla? Yeah, so particularly in the last two years, Jim, there was a huge interest in the organics, probably triggered by the new cap and the incentives that were there and I suppose the increase in the fertiliser prices too put a lot of farmers thinking about organics um, I suppose as well you know the whole area of sustainability and sustainable farming and organic farming ticks all the boxes there so last week Minister Hackett announced that there was a thousand and fifty new applicants to the scheme for 2024 so that brings the total number of organic farmers to 5,000 now in the country so, like, that participation now of those 5,000 farmers means that the total area of organics has actually tripled in Ireland since 2020. So, based on that, then, we're approximately halfway to achieving our target of 10% of land farmed organically in Ireland by 2030, as outlined in the Climate Action Plan. So, look, it's, it's great to have the increase. It's great to have the interest there, and it's going in the positive, in the positive direction, like... Demand is good, interest is good. And I suppose just in the county then, there's 238 new applicants, um, or sorry, 238 total applicants. 41 of those are people that started conversion this year. So a good steady number um, throughout the, the county. And is it primarily beef and suckler farmers that are transitioning into organic? 
Yeah, it, it would be really, Jim. So I suppose yeah. 80, 85% would be dry stock and beef and sheep. And the majority, then the balance would be dairy, horticulture and kind of poultry. So like beef and sheep. And I suppose really, you know, there are the farmers are at a stocking rate that they can easily convert to organics, you know, replace chem- expensive chemical fertilizers and of course the concentrates. And make the switch to to organics by just you know maybe slightly reduce stock and rate and um, you know cut out the inputs such as your fertilizer your pesticides and increase the volume of clover and maybe multi species that that they're using in their farming systems. But like it does take a lot of confidence, I suppose, mm-hmm. in yourself to farm organically. You know because mm-hmm. it, there is a high level of skill involved and understanding of how a healthy soil works, but. You know, Irish farmers are well able for this challenge. They are. They're able for any challenge that they have to face. Uh, they're very resilient people, farmers. Now, what incentives or schemes, funding schemes, are available to somebody who wants to consider going or- organic or wants to become an organic farmer? Yeah, so I suppose the organic farming scheme is the, is the primary one there, Jim. Um, mm-hmm. It's a five-year scheme that, that farmers are signing up for there and we'll just go through payment rates. For a dry stock farmer, it's €300 Euro per hectare up to 70 hectares in years one and two. So it takes two years to fully convert to organic. So you're known in conversion for the first two years. And then in years three to five, they'll be getting 250 a hectare in tillage it's 320 and 270 and um, dairy 350 300 then for years three to five horticulture very nice payment 800 euro a hectare for mm-hmm. years one and two and um 600 euro a hectare in years three to five and there's also a participation payment which is 2000 euro in the first year and 1400 thereafter so i suppose the high payment is up to 70 hectares if you have more than 70 hectares, then it goes to 60 or a hectare for inconversion and 30 or a hectare thereafter. So like um, an example there, like a 40 hectare sheep farm could be getting for five years participation, 61,600 mm-hmm. after the five years, you know. So a nice boost to income there. Um, so I suppose, look, we advise people do their own sums, see does it make sense. It won't be for everyone, but it is an option to consider. Um, mm-hmm, of course, yeah. Other options then is the organic capital investment scheme, which is the equivalent of TAMS. So that's granted at a rate of sixty percent on investments up to a ceiling of ninety thousand for organic farmers, and that's irrespective of age or having a green green cert qualification. And um, there's also the organic processing investment scheme then, and that's for you know anyone that wishes to develop facilities for processing or preparation, grading, packaging and storage of organic products, and that's granted at 60% um, for eligible costs, up to 3,000, excluding that. So, like, you know, there is, there is good, good funding there available. Yeah, there's good help there available, definitely. A nice carrot to dangle in front of somebody who there might is. be thinking of... It uh, is, and I suppose, um, just, I suppose it's important, Jim, for listeners to understand as well that, like, the organic farming scheme is a separate payment to Best Chris Eco Acres, any of the other scheme funding that they might be receiving. Do you know, so if you do decide to convert to organic farming, the OFS organic farming scheme is an additional payment that is there to provide support oh. to farm income. 
So it's on top of your BIS payment yeah, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, moving on then. What is involved in converting to organic farming? Orla. Yeah, so, so like I said there, Jim, it's, it's a two-year conversion before you obtain full organic status. So I suppose the first step is to consider, you know, is it for you? Um, you know, if you're not, you're not highly stocked or depending on a lot of chemical input, it, it might be suitable. Um, next thing is do your research, you know, speak to an advisor, speak to other organic farmers, do the sums. Then you have to sign up with one of the certification bodies. So there's two in Ireland. There's either the Irish Organic Trust or the Irish Organic Association, and they provide certification and inspections. And um, you have to complete a conversion plan then with them as well. And you apply for the organic farming scheme itself then, which is through the department. And finally, then you must complete a 25-hour organic farming principles course as well. So we offer those, and anyone that went in this year has until the 1st of October 24 to have their course completed. So I suppose just a reminder to anyone that did go in, just get their course completed. And if you have a look at the Chagas website, we have a number of courses ongoing as, as the year goes on. And so just to make sure that they're enrolled in one of those and, and get it completed. So that's kind of the main steps, you know. Mm -hmm. There is a few bits involved in it, but... It's, it's a timely process and um, conversion is, is, is generally very straightforward and a smooth transition. Right, so the conversion uh, time is two years, so you have two years before you become fully organic, uh, fully fully organic, organic. farming. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Mm. So see, for anyone that signed up this year, Jim, mm. they started organic conversion on mm. the 1st of January 2024. And they are known as in conversion for the next two years. So they'll basically obtain their full organic status on the 1st of January 2026. And what kind of help then is available from your good self to somebody who might be thinking of converting to organic? Yeah, so like the likes of myself would call out or, you know, do a, an office consultation, mm -hmm. go through kind of what the, the current system on the farm is what maybe it would look like in an organic situation. Um, usually a farm visit is involved, Jim, because one of the main differences between organic and conventional is housing. So mm -hmm. there's a little bit more space requirements for housing. So um, in the organics, in the standards, um, the animal must, 50% of its lying space must be provided by a solid bedded area. So usually that's a straw bedded area. And the remainder can be flat, but they, they can't be fully on flat. So that's kind of the main thing that we look at in housing, that, you know, that there, there's going to be enough space. And if not, maybe what modifications might be required, the costs involved. Um, usually look at grass land then as well, you know, mm -hmm. if how much they were relying previously on, on chemical fertilizer um what level of clover maybe is in the farm, stocking rate and things like that. So, like, you know, we provide advice in that sense of what the situation would look like in an organic situation, do the sums with the farmer and, you know, put, put yeah. them in contact with other people in the area that have done the transition and are farming organically. So, you know, that's really the best way you'll learn is by speaking to someone that's gone through the process and, and has basically maybe maybe made the mistakes and learned from them, you know, <laughs> and came in through their side of it. But, you know, we, we offer, far, we don't, we'll be holding farm walks as well. And of course, the, the 25 hour course and as well, yeah. you know, we run roads throughout the year. So 
look after him basically for for my, all all aspects of conversion. Okay, one last question to you. At the moment, uh, the scheme isn't open, but when is it going to open again, Orla? Yeah, so currently the scheme closed in the 15th of December last year. So we expect again, Jim, that it will be the end of this year. It will open again probably mid mid November um, mm-hmm. for a six week period and, and close again in December. So I suppose anyone considering maybe that didn't go ahead, go through with the conversion this year, you know, like get mm-hmm. in touch and, um, you know, use this year even as, as kind of a trial year of maybe cutting back on the chemical fertilizer, increasing the clover on the farm and prepare yourself maybe for transition in January 25. Okay, well, look, I'm out of time. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. That listeners was Orla Walsh, who is an organic advisor here in the county. Listeners, my next guest this morning, I have caught up with him. He's driving, so if there's a little bit of background noise, please don't worry. And, okay, mobiles can sometimes let it down, but I hope not. He is Pat O'Toole, the political correspondent of the Irish Farmers Journal. And you may read in this week's journal, Pat, is an article about the new party, as I would call it, even though it isn't too new, it's been set up, but Mr Fitzmaurice TD has joined them. And I'd like to know, Pat, and you're more than welcome and thanks for joining us, what are the consequences of Fitzmaurice joining the group? I think it's a big coup for Independence Ireland, um, formed by Richard O'Donoghue and Michael Collins. Having two TDs setting up the party gives that party a head start over the many other parties. Five other parties founded last year, four of them registered with the uh, with the Electoral Commission, um, including the Farmers Alliance. But having sitting TDs founding the party um, and, and fronting the party gives them instant uh, recognition and credibility and identity. So Michael Fitzmaurice joining brings it on another level because now they've added to their ranks. And I think it's fair to say that of all the uh, rural independent TDs, Michael Fitzmaurice is the one with the highest profile bar, perhaps Michael Heady Ray. Um, And he has been a consistent advocate for rural Ireland, for farming, uh, and I suppose a thorn in the side of government in relation to uh, what government wants farming to do. So uh, I I think that it is very significant, and I think that it means that we're now looking at a party which will be announcing, uh, you know, the claims that they're going more influence, the claims that they're going to have a slew of candidates around the country, many of them serving already on local or national government. Um, That means that those claims have now been backed up, so we can wait with anticipation to see who, who else is going to join the ranks. Yeah, I see they're going to have at least uh, 100 candidates for local elections. And, uh, of course, if they do well in that, that will give them an impetus uh, with regard to whenever we happen. And I suppose uh, we spoke about this already, that we're likely to have a general election towards the autumn of the year. So, again, they may eat into some of the seats that are held in rural areas if they put candidates up. Yeah, I think that um, 
they they also they will have in the, uh, they will have uh, candidates in urban areas as well, um, who are of the people. That 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 mm-hmm. was the phrase that was used to me. Who who are uh, identify with the everyday issues that ordinary families have struggling, um, education, health, housing, cost of living. Uh, you know th- those are all. Uh, core issues, whether you're urban or rural. Um, farming is its own bubble is the wrong word, but it's it, it, farming interacts so extensively with legislation and with government and governance, and farmers are so reliant on schemes and subsidies to augment their income. And uh, frankly, outside of dairying, perhaps fruit and veg, um, every other sector is hugely dependent. On um, on government, and uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that's not farmers' desire, and it's not farmers' fault. It's the system that has evolved because production costs are not being met, especially with the explosion in production costs over the last 24 months. Production costs are not being met by product prices, so farming is hugely reliant on uh, interaction with government, and as a result, farmers are very closely watching. Uh, the emergence of a party like Independence Ireland with candidates who are so close to farmers and farming and have identified so much with farmers and farm organisations on on these issues. Um, We are hurtling towards an election and every one of these announcements is going to be significant. Verona Murphy, who is an independent Mm -hmm. in my own part of the country, she made an announcement herself on Wednesday evening. She's not joining Independence Ireland, but what she is doing is forming, I'm calling it the WI, but the Wexford Independence, and she's fielding as many as a dozen candidates in the local elections in the four districts in County Wexford, and of course there's now a new constituency uh, partly mm-hmm. uh, made from Wexford, Wexford Wicklow, and my understanding is that Verona intends to have a like-minded uh, allied candidate in uh, that constituency in the general election. So again, would someone like Verona be capable of linking up with the independence uh, Ireland after the election? Very much so. And I think that there will this could be a two-phase process, that independence Ireland will step forward with their can- stated candidates and slated candidates uh, in the uh, general election following the local elections. And... And then after the election, you may well see their banner be attract other independents if they have the kind of numbers that make some realistic coalition partners for whoever the major party of government will be. And that's the aim Like that Michael Fitzmaurice made it clear to me that he has stayed in politics uh, to, to be, go into government and to, uh, to change on, on the daily lives of Irish people. Okay, now he's had the opportunity to go into government in the past and didn't take it up. That, that's absolutely correct. And uh, and he's unashamed about that. He believes he made the right decision at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he, there was a, a small chance when he was first elected uh, in 2016. But the, the reality is that he came in in a by-election um, mm-hmm. uh, following Luke Ming Flanagan's election to the European Parliament. Um, but then uh, the uh, program for government discussions uh, that took place um, he, he, in 2020, he, he or sorry, in 20, after 2016, he stood away from, and he stood away from for an interesting reason. Um, he was offered a junior ministry. Um, he was part of an independence alliance uh, with the likes of Shane Ross and Richard Box, 
Oxford Moran and Sean Canny, and he stood away and walked away from a junior ministry because he felt the programme for government was one he couldn't sign up for. So um, similarly, Richard O'Donoghue and Michael Collins, when I interviewed them about three weeks ago, they made it clear that they are open to sitting down with anybody, whether that's Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin, the Green Party, and they believe it's their duty um, as elected representatives to get involved in government uh, formation talks with all parties. But they would find it hard to develop a compatible uh, programme for government with the Green Party, and, and they admit that. But they're, they're open to sitting down with them and talking to them to see if they can find a middle ground. And Michael Fitzmaurice, uh, I talked to him on Wednesday morning following this announcement, and what he said to me was that, similarly, he... Uh, he's open to discussions with anyone, that there will be a detailed policy platform um, re revealed by the Independence Ireland in advance of the local elections, and that they will stand on that platform in the general election, and that people will know what they're voting for when they vote for Independence Ireland, and that they will then negotiate uh, with a view to forming part of government, um, that legislators should be wanting to get into government, but they will do so on the back of that policy platform, which has been endorsed by the people who vote for them. And, uh, Pat, are they not jumping on the farmer bandwagon in many ways? We spoke last week or the week before about what's happening all across Europe, what's happening here at home at farmer protests, and these protests, whether they're been in across Europe or whether they have been at home have bought uh, some softening uh, with regard to the to the commission number one and number two to our own Department of Agriculture. Um, the, because certainly that that accusation may be been put to them, but uh, they have been consistent on uh, a, a number of issues around regulation of farming, mm -hmm. around climate action plan, around rewetting, around the derogation, less so the derogation. Uh, there's been mixed messages on the derogation because um, I interviewed Michael Fitzmaurice uh, after the 2020 election and he wasn't sure whether the derogation was required. Um, he felt that too much was being negotiated mm -hmm. um, away uh, to secure the derogation uh, and, and mm -hmm. the his focus was on more extensive farmers, on dry stock farmers, on low income marginal farmers, uh, that the, were, the ones who are forgotten and being left behind. I think the dynamic has changed because the reality of a change in the derogation has impacted farming nationally and has impacted every sector. Uh, the, uh, the direct impact is on dairy farmers, on intensively stocked beef finishers, but that's washing out through the entire uh, Irish agriculture sector, especially livestock farming. And I, I think that that reality uh, has hit everybody, including the likes of Michael Fitzmaurice. Uh, so I think his attitude has changed on the derogation. But they have, in fairness to these three men, they have been uh, consistently talking about these issues for years now, uh, since they've been elected. So they would say that they are representing the communities that voted for them and that they're pursuing the issues that affect the lives of the people who voted for them, which I suppose is the nature of Irish representative democracy uh, with our constituencies and our clientist politics. And um, that's what every elected representative does, whether it's Richard Boyd Barrett or, or Michael Healy Ray or indeed any of the independents Ireland. 
OK, well, I suppose it's a space that you and I are going to watch over the coming months. I want to thank you ever so much, Pat, as always, for joining us here on Tip FM. That listeners was Pat O'Toole, the political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Listeners, my final guest this morning is Pat Carl, who is the chairperson of the IFA in South Tipperary. Good morning, Pat, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Now, Pat, I believe you have some very interesting uh, figures or statistics with regard to uh, agriculture in County Tipperary. Would you ever share those with the listener, please? Yeah, Jim, I suppose, look, uh, as, as part of our campaign, um, there, there's much talk, and we gathered in the 1st of February as, as regards uh, putting on a show of solidarity, and I suppose we're going to follow on with that with, with various other events all over the country and going to run for a while. But just, I suppose, before we get into that, the importance of agriculture within Tipperary as a county. And I suppose, uh, just to, to put out a few figures there, uh, agriculture in Tipperary is worth 2.6 billion to the economy of Tipperary, which is a serious figure. Um, that's, there is in or around 15,000 directly and indirectly employed in agriculture in Tipperary. So it's a huge role to play in the economy um, within Tipperary and, and is... is um, I suppose it's, it's it, within the population of Tipperary, over 10% of the, of, of, of the population of Tipperary work directly or indirectly in agriculture. And it's one of just three counties where agriculture accounts for 10%, greater than 10% of employment. So from that point of view, um, hugely, hugely important. And I suppose it's, it's, um, it's, it crosses all sectors between dairy cows, beef cows. We're actually the third largest in Ireland as regards pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got 75,000 euros. Um, 40% of the cider apples are grown in Tipperary, which would probably coincide with, with, with uh, the production of cider in Tipperary. And, and some people were, were, were kind of su- t- surprised by that figure. But I think, Jim, that just looked the importance of agriculture within Tipperary directly and indirectly. Like there's a lot of jobs and there's a lot of high tech jobs involved now in agriculture because there's there's a lot of technology one time it was a lot of manual labor whereas for now uh, a lot of the work that involves on farm and in the service sector and repairing is computer and 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 is of is of a very high standard right very interesting figures uh, but not surprising really uh that, that they've gone up considerably with regard to the value of agriculture to uh, temporary uh, I think the last time I looked at that might be six or seven years ago, and uh, the actual value has increased considerably. Yes, uh, it has uh, considerably, and it has across sectors as well. Um, like you know, it, it isn't just like there has been a big expansion in dairy, but there has across other sectors. I, I think it's the figures what they do, and and maybe it's no harm to remind ourselves um, the importance of it and, and how we must mind it. And it was our job within IFA um, to lobby and, and keep the pressure on and to protect this industry. That, mm-hmm. That's what we're there for, and to protect people's livelihood. And to allow people, and, and probably one of the biggest issues we're facing going forward is, is to entice the next generation to stay in Tipperary and stay involved in agriculture, whether it's directly or indirectly. And without that, um, it's, it's going to have a huge effect. So that probably is, is one of our most important priorities. But it's no harm to remind ourselves of the importance of it. And everything we do in agriculture is dictated by political policy. 
we, we, we have to work within guidelines and regulations and we try to negotiate on them. But politically, of all sectors in society, we're, we're the most um, um, politicised uh, sector in the country, where, where be it EU regulation or Irish government regulation or local government regulation, we, we, we have huge amounts of bureaucracy to deal with. It's interesting that you just say that because uh, just before I spoke to you, I was speaking to Pat O'Toole from the Farmer's Journal and he makes exactly the same point uh, that, uh, you know, we absolutely as farmers depend completely and totally on uh, the decisions made either in Brussels or uh, at local level in our own Department of Agriculture. No other uh, sector of society is regulated like we are. Definitely, and it's something I would highlight now from the point of view. We have local elections, we have European elections in beginning of June, and we could have a dinner election by year in. And, and sometimes we get it when we're lobbying in that, that the farming vote isn't as strong as it used to. And I think that's very, very important, that, that the numbers of farmers that come out to vote this year come out and force, because there's nothing more powerful than, than the numbers. If we can increase the numbers that come out and vote, we're like we're we're not aligned to any political organisation or anything like that. But we do want farmers to come out and vote, and it gives us the power as a lobbying organisation on behalf of farmers. Um, it gives great power, and and again, it also keeps those policymakers on their toes. That the farmers are in tune with with what is happening politically by using their vote. You know, uh, very well, Pat, since you and I last spoke, you have a new president has taken office. And from what I can see, uh, he has hit the ground running. Yeah, definitely. Look, you you, you always get a bounce. New Mm -hmm. president in, wants to make his mark, has a lot of new ideas. um, And and everybody rose in behind that and and gets the ball rolling. Um, To be fair, Francie and Alice, both of them um, with National Council the other day, uh, both, both doing exceptionally well and really have their finger on the pulse and are adamant to get up and going and, and make a difference. And I suppose that is, that is one of the advantages within IFE of nobody can out, outstay their term in any position. I have four years as county chair. I can't go back into that position again. And I think that's important, too, that we're, we're constantly turning over the, 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 the officers within the organisation. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not an easy filling position, but fresh people in and, and a turnover of them gives the organisation a bounce, and it gives somebody else the opportunity to try something different. So there is, and, and, and there is a real bounce there at the moment, and we need to go with that momentum. And, and we also see we have to use uh, what is there to our advantage. We see what happened across Europe, and... We see what what is happening here. So we have to take that opportunity and use it as best we can. Yeah, and you must be complimented uh, for, uh, you know, uh, joining your European colleagues and European farmers across Europe in, uh, you know, supporting them in uh, their fight for whatever uh, issues that uh, affect them, whether that's in France or Belgium or Poland or uh, the Netherlands, wherever it is, and it was good to see that. But uh, that little protest that you made, that made a very, very big difference here at home as well because there has been some softening of some of the issues that affect farms, uh, farmers uh, over the past couple of weeks. Yes, certainly there has been some change. Um, I suppose what, what, uh, what probably shocked the most 
was in the short time frame of, of 24 hours that we could get out the kind of numbers that we can get out. Mm-hmm. And we have, we're a little different to Europe. Where I, I suppose I would have heard some guys would say like, you know, well, why aren't we blocking up roads or why aren't we doing various things and, 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 and shutting the place down? We're slightly different here than in parts of Europe, especially in France. They have a completely different culture to protest in than what we do here. We have a very good relationship, I would say, with the general public. And we have a respect there that we need to, to, to mind. And I suppose it's only as a last resort would we inconvenience. And I'd also like to be conscious of the point here that um, I, I give you a lot of figures there at the start as regards farming and agriculture in Tipperary, but we're part of an economy. And just like every other business in Tipperary that's struggling with high costs, there's a lot of small businesses in Tipperary going out of business and a lot of businesses struggling. Like we have a very high cost uh, of energy here in Ireland as against the rest of Europe. And we seem to be over-regulated, some of the policies coming from Europe. So just like what uh, the green diesel issue in, in Germany and, and uh, cheap imports in France, there was various issues. But they, they all come back to the same thing at the, the end of the day. Uh, we're, we're governed by policy on, on, um, on our inputs, on, on what we can do to be as efficiently as possible. But we're not getting a return from the marketplace to fully cover those costs. So that's why we have a cap. And the common agricultural policy was there to provide cheap food of a very high standard to the European consumer. But now we have political um, decisions being made where cap money is being used for environmental reasons, where there should be a separate budget brought in to do environmental um, work and, and, and let the cap, which actually in real terms over the last 10 years has dropped because there has been no increase in the money going into cap and also between inflation and, and an expanding EU we're running faster to stand still. So it, it, it's very hard to stay achieving what we've achieved up to now from a food output point of view, unless there's change there. And, and, and the European farmer does a very good job of producing food to a very high standard as relative to the rest of the world. And we need to protect that. We also need to protect our environment, but there's a cost associated with that as well. And that has to be, that has to be provided separately from the cap. Okay, well, look, at, we're running out of time, but I do know that uh, you're going to have your finger on the pulse in the IFA over the coming months with both the elections and with the issues that are facing Irish farmers and indeed farmers across Europe. So I c- can be quite sure that uh, there will be some form of protest by the IFA and maybe the other farming organisations uh, Come running up to election time uh, to let government know that uh, farmers are still here and they're still working and they still have needs. Definitely. We will, between county councillors, MEPs and TDs, uh, our local county council, there, there's, there is a, there's a lot, a lot of issues there. We will be keeping the pressure on. We'll be popping up in different places um, and, and there'll be different events. Now, it's a very, very busy time of the year. You're not going to get big numbers of farmers out in a short notice, especially if the weather clears up. Um, but there's, there's still a lot of issues there to be dealt with. So we will be working away um, and, and there'll be different events on and uh, through between now and next June and we'll continue over the next number of weeks. Okay, well, look at Pat. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. That listeners was Pat Carl, who is the chairperson of the IFA in South Tipperary.
that listeners is Ag Report for this week. I hope you enjoy the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon DeWire presents Down Your Way.